WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Rick's Tire Service, family-owned and operated on State Route 30 between Roxbury and Grand Gorge. Tires mounting and wheel balancing for cars, trucks, lawn, garden, farm, and construction vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES. 800-LG-TIRES. Home Goods of Margaretville, corner of Main and Bridge Streets in Margaretville, New York. Now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home. Home Goods of Margaretville. Open every day. 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. Sounds Good Music House, the record shop on Main Street in Andes for new and used vinyl, including new releases and rare titles across all genres, as well as turntables, mid-century furniture, and original artwork. Sounds Good Music House buys used records, too. Open weekends and any time the doors open. More information at 845-676-6233, 845-676-6233, or soundsgoodcatskills.com. Hi, I'm William Duke, host of Spiritual Solutions, alternate Monday afternoons from 1 to 2, right here on WIOX Roxbury, Community Radio. Live and local in New York's Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and on MTC Cable Channel 20 and WIOXradio.org. Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOX Radio, 
Org on computers or smartphones, and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is from the forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan, John, Zane, and Zara. We got all four in here. How's it going? Going well. Doing well, really good. Yeah, pretty good. So, uh, what have you guys been up to? Well, um, Monday was May first. That means the opener of turkey season. So, yeah. I got out. Yeah. It was, it's really tough to hunt turkeys in the rain. So, yeah, they don't, nobody likes to talk in the rain. So, I don't know. I went for a nice walk in the woods. Um, never heard a gobble. It was fun. And I found a giant dead buckhead. Oh, man. Winter kill. <laughs> or a hunter wounded, never found it. I don't know. But I've seen a lot of nice bucks, shot a few nice bucks, and this, would have been my second biggest buck ever had I killed it. It was a nice buck. Really? A nice one. 19 and a quarter inside spread. That's too bad. Nice tall tines. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. I found some antler sheds when I was walking around too. So it was a productive walk in the woods nonetheless. I went home with something. No turkeys though. Something. Zane? Yeah. So well, I've been watching some turkeys uh, on my property and uh, been watching a tom turkey and three hens. And it's the past two days, it's just been one hen walking around. So I don't know if that's... Uh... That's because your neighbor is turkey on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just the same hen walk every morning, just uh, walking around aimless. But uh, what have I been doing? Um, I've been, I got all my trees planted that I ordered. I finally put in my uh, peach and my pear trees. So I'm glad we're getting all this rain. It makes me feel good that they're getting a good drink of water, so... Yeah, there's plenty of water out there. What's going on, Zara? Not much. Um, I was out harvesting ramps the other day, wild leeks. Um, those are those are up now, and I got a, a few bunches, made some pesto. It's pretty good. Sweet. Yeah. You getting the bulbs, too, or just the greens? Some of the bulbs. I, I have a, a really nice, healthy patch, so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't think it has much of a negative consequence. I mean, yeah, yeah. When I go out, my patch that I take from, I've been doing it for, I don't know, ten years. We pickle a whole bunch. It's a great another, you know, another tool to barter with and and tip right. someone who comes to the house. They love that stuff. But anyway, um, I feel like my patch is growing. I think it's because I I take that shovel and I turn over the soil and I don't go and like you know taking huge sections out. Just a shovel full here, shovel full there, and I say in the last ten years, it's it's really gotten a lot bigger. Yeah, yeah this patch is definitely definitely growing since the last time I visited it. It's on private property, not yeah uh, around Delhi actually too. So yeah, oh yeah. no, I like the private land. So you can just yeah. drive the four wheeler right to it. Yeah, and go, you, go I know no one, no one else is there, and it's it's nice. And it, I mean, there's way too many ramps to be over harvested anyway. It's just right. it's a huge patch. You know, that's all you hear about. It seems like everybody's like, well, I only do the I only do the leaves. Yeah. And I guess you know if it's if it's for more than just self use, maybe you can do a, some impact. But if it's just self use, I really think that you can do some good and benefit it and till those seeds in, and the past grows. Yeah, there's tons of leaks out there. Ramps, leaks, there's tons of them out there. Yeah, acres. I am not concerned about the population of ramps. Nor am I. So I'm not scared. Nope. Anyway, tonight's talk uh, is going to be called forestry check in. We might do this. Um, once a month, who knows, and talk to each of the 
field staff members of the Catskill Forest Association. We have John McNaught, who we know, forest program manager, and it's Zane, education arborist, and Zara, who's not on as much, education forester, and myself, Ryan. Um, so, yeah, basically just, you know, just talk about what's going on in the forest, I guess. So anyway, what's what's what are people doing as far as field programs recently? Well, uh, this is our grafting season, so I've been doing uh, some grafts for some members. So that's been really fun, uh, teaching members how to identify um, volunteer apple trees that might be suitable for a graft. It's been a uh, really neat experience to show people. Um, and I've been getting uh, sites ready for our tree planting program, so I'm starting to meet with members and uh, discuss trees to plant on their property in the fall. So that's been really interesting. What are people on the plant anyway? Uh, I uh, People are always looking to plant um, all sorts of things. Definitely fruit trees, but not everyone has the, the, the best site for it. Um, people really attract to certain ornamentals. Um, but what always seems to come up is a uh, conversation I always have is people looking to, to plant kind of privacy hedges in many different uh, kind of ways. Privacy hedges or ways to like uh, buffer like the sound or, or ways to, to kind of make the forest a little bit more, uh, I guess, quiet for them. So it's a, it's a, I don't know. We can get into it more, but it's an interesting... Uh, I'm tired of it. I'm yeah. totally sick of these hedges, man. I mean, we live okay. in the Catskills. There's not even many people here. <laughs> All right? I mean, yeah, it's I don't a, know. It's an instinct uh, yeah. you know, to, to, to plant a row of trees, usually evergreens, to create some sort of barrier, um, usually yeah. uh, you know, blocking neighbor's house or blocking a road. Um, it's, it's kind of where people go to when they think about planting a tree, but it's not something... I got into tree planting to do, so I kind of uh, suggest other other avenues. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff just becomes um, spruce gall adelgid bait later on in life because they're planted too close, right? And then they're just full of these little spruce gall adelgids, and uh, then they want them chemically treated and stuff. And there's a time and place to treat, but um, I don't know. I just don't get it. I mean, some of these people are on dead end roads. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to see a house across the valley. I get it, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, that, a- you know, it's just it to me. There's better reasons to plant a tree. That's all. That's yeah. just my personal opinion. That's all. No, yeah, I, do I as you want. Yeah. yeah, they're usually too dense. Um, usually planted kind of too deep. Usually large trees that are put in, um, so they kind of take a while to establish. But. Um, uh, but there's reasons for that. You know, you can you can plant a windbreak. It's usually a good reason to plant a line of spruces or something. But yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, what about you, Zara? We've been up to even doing the consultation thing. Yeah, lots and lots of consultations, and actually, um, the privacy screen trees do come up a lot that have been planted by previous landowners. So, just to chime in there. You know, I I often have to consult on what to do with these trees, like you said, that are planted too close together and now have diseases. And, you know, they not only do they have these diseases, but now they look unsightly. So, you know, it's would you rather just, you know, look at the road or look at these trees that are kind of falling apart now? So, but, yeah, I've I've kind of been all over, Um, more in the Woodstock, uh, Hurley, 
area lately. Uh, but seeing all different kinds of cool properties and yeah. Typical consultation. Yeah, most mostly. A lot of them are, you know, fresh new landowners who've never owned land or forest. Um, lots of basic uh, forestry questions, um, things they can do with their with their properties. Um, lots of tree ID that I'm doing. So, yeah, starting with a lot of basic stuff, which I think is good. People are showing an interest in learning. Do you feel people uh, know what forestry is? And you know, um, you know, I, I've actually seen recently um that more people are receptive when i mention um forestry practices or things like cutting down trees or releasing trees in their forest i think there are people who um even though they haven't owned forest before recognize that a lot of the forest around here is pretty dense um or you know has been left alone for so long that it could really use thinning or some type of releasing around certain trees like oaks and, and hickories and things like that. Um, so a lot of my conversation with people tends to gear towards towards that stuff. But, yeah, it seems received pretty well. Yeah. Cool. Well, I've been running the portable sawmill. That season's been kicking up into full swing. Um, but working on this, uh, well, I just finished this neat project. Uh, Ryan and I felled the trees back in December, ash trees for this project that uh guys doing a, a house build out of an old barn dutch style curved curved roof so we sawed out all of the ash that's going to be the ceiling on that whole cathedral roof um about three thousand board feet Jeez! so it was pretty pretty cool to be a part of and i told them we need to be invited to the barn the barn dance the barn raising party at the end maybe we'll get to see that ceiling <laughs> yeah really but um that and uh we hosted game of logging last weekend level two huh so i was there yeah i was down in uh sullivan county somewhere near glens bay or something like that no no it was near hancock maybe and this guy lived in an old church yeah yeah it was built in the 1800s you know the all all the ceiling was beautiful wood paneling and he got it from a guy who was a pianist famous mm -hmm. like if you're in the pianos you would know this person mm -hmm. and yeah. it was like perfect because it you know i remember being there with you it was oh, really yeah. it was beautiful, beautiful inside Isn't that crazy yeah that was cool very beautiful that's right where was that i don't even remember uh long eddie i think long eddie yeah so what kind of wood was it i don't know it was high i yeah. can't tell yeah yeah that's cool it's probably local wood yeah looks dark or it looked dark to me i don't know yeah i mean most Could've most stayed. most woods uh darken over time especially with the finishing technologies that they would have yeah. had at the time to put something on it yeah i don't know i mean it could have been hard southern yellow pine for all i know yeah, there I mean, was a lot there's a lot of that in old constructions even right so i don't know mm -hmm. but it's pretty neat to say the let say the least um what what have people been reading? Anything interesting having to do with the forest? Come on. <laughs> Zara's got one. Yeah, I mean, uh, so a lot of members that I've met with um, over, over the last several months um, have recommended The Hidden Life of Trees. Uh-oh. Um, that's by, I might pronounce his, his last name wrong, but Peter Wolleben. He's a German, German guy. And... Um, 
you know, everybody was kind of saying, oh, have you read this? And, you know, and I, I, I'd heard about it, but I hadn't read it. And so I, I decided to, to give it a go. And I got to say, I'm not impressed. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean. Why? I just feel like. I've never read it. Yeah. So there's a lot of, of romantic imagery in it so far. I'm only about halfway through it, but. You know, it's a lot about how the forest is very interconnected. It touches on mycorrhizal networks. Um, and it talks about, you know, there being the concept of things like a mother tree and her baby trees that she's taking care of. And it's very uh, anthropomorphic, like projecting human characteristics onto trees. And, you know, while some of it, not all of it, is untrue, um, I do think that there's a point where a story crosses the boundary into becoming a lie in certain ways. And I think that there's there's just things we don't know about the forest definitively enough to say that some of those things are true. You know, like that trees have emotions and they talk to each other and they have memories and they take care of their offspring just like a human mother would take care of her baby. These things to me are, are more... Um, projections rather than rooted in some sort of science or some sort of study that's proven them um so i don't know to me so far i'm kind of feeling skeptical about the book but i get why it would would seem so appealing to a lot of people especially new landowners who want to feel more connected to their forest in some way but uh yeah yeah um yeah I, i've read uh, david's book and um Especially doing a lot of consultations, it, it seems uh, books like David's A Secret or Hidden Life of Trees or Susan Samard's Finding the Mother Tree, these are kind of the first uh, kind of um, first ideas people have of their woods, um, their first introduction to it. And it kind of creates kind of this image of the woods as being kind of this fanciful, whimsical place. And I worry with some of these that um, they might uh, give a... Uh, inaccurate view of the woods that might um, keep someone from managing in a certain way. Um, yeah. What, are, what is the evidence that they use for those? Like, so there's the mother tree, right, and then the hidden life of trees, that they're all interconnected. So what is the evidence, or lack thereof, that you guys think that yeah. you guys are poo-pooing this idea? <laughs> well, you know, specifically in the, in the hidden life of trees, he goes – into detail talking about beech trees, for instance, and um, how they share resources. And there's been supposedly these studies that um, show that, you know, beaches in a certain area will um, uh, share and equalize their resources over different, supposedly different trees. But, you know, all of us know here that beech is a very prolific root sucker. So it sends up uh, suckers from its the roots of a single tree can send up hundreds of suckers um, and those can each turn into individual trees. And so really, you know, you could also pose the, uh, the other perspective that, okay, maybe these aren't separate trees that are equalizing and sharing resources. It could just be one single tree that has sent up multiple suckers that have turned into larger trees, but really they're all connected in a root system because they originated from one tree. And so in, from that perspective, it's not actually that, multiple trees uh, independently in the forest are collaborating with each other, but that a single tree is just 
you know, distributing its resources throughout its own organism. So, yeah, I listened to the book, and that was my biggest uh, takeaway from it that I, I I didn't like that aspect of it because he's a trained forester. So, I mean, he knew this writing the book, and he gave very little insight to. I mean, I think Zara explained it better than he did in the book, <laughs> um, just in that few seconds, you know, and he had a. Hundreds of hundreds of pages, he could have done that and explained why and how and and that and the understanding that some trees have root suckers, some don't. Some you know. He hasn't really explained that. No, not in a not in a good way. Not in a way that it, 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 I don't even know if it was mentioned. I don't remember. I, I listened to the books several years ago on audio book, but. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it just kind of portrays this image, uh, this anthropomorphized image that trees are all connected, but um, some are, some aren't, um, and we can't then base policy and and how we you know manage forests because of that. Yeah. Um, and again, he was a trained forester, and he does you know he does go into detail about um, writing about tree communities, how you know a more of a uh, a wild forest versus a tree plantation has so many different ecological benefits. And sure, I totally agree with that, but it doesn't mean there's still not a time and place to grow telephone poles in a loblolly pine plantation and down in Georgia. That's just agriculture now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a time and place. There's also a lot of, um, I think, misconstrued information about mycorrhizal networks, which, you know, for people who don't know, that's just mycelium um, from mushrooms under the soil, supposedly, you know, connecting tree roots and different. And we know that trees have evolved with fungi and that they do, you know, help each other or, or um, coexist in the same space in some way. But I think a lot of these studies are really new. And, you know, I checked up on a lot of the, the articles that he sources and um, a lot of them aren't as definitive as he makes them out to be or as not just him, but other authors that talk about it that really want to play up the, you know, the interconnectivity of the forest um, because they're really hard to study. You can't actually go and see an in situ mycelium or uh, a mycorrhizal network without actually disturbing or destroying part of that network because you would have to dig in the soil you'd have to you know expose part of the the network so a lot of those studies are actually done in greenhouses and pots mm. um, or with seedlings with younger trees um, and the methods that they use you know don't always aren't always foolproof in in that they can't always isolate that mycorrhizal network as like the sole reason that something is going on so you know, to me, it's really fascinating, and I, and I agree with John, but, you know, I, I think there's still a lot more to be learned and that we're making, we're kind of jumping the gun on making these assumptions about the forest. What about the evidence for or against or lacking with the mother trees? That I, I haven't, maybe, maybe Zane, since you started reading a little bit of the And who's that by, Zane? Uh, that's by Susan Samard. She also was, uh, I think she's an ecologist, um, think out of Oregon. I'm, I'm not sure. I just read, started reading the, the beginning of her book. But what strikes me when I read these, it's just the, the language, the way we talk about these things, the anthropomorphization of these things. Um, when I was in college, I learned these uh, mutualisms or like symbiotic relationships. We use terms like interaction or coaction, kind of neutral terms to describe these relationships. Um, because they were really new and we didn't know a lot about them and um, but when you're writing when you're a science writer uh, you have to tell a story you have to make it interesting and um, I think some authors 
though they have good intent, they want to inspire people to look at the force in a new way. They got to kind of get a, carried away in the metaphor a bit. Um, and I think that some of the science out there um, is uh, kind of tells a more interesting story of what, how little we know. I mean, we at CFA see new things in the force all the time, and we're always observing things. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's kind of my takeaway from it. Yeah, I feel like romanticism is its not going away. Um, I feel like it's been one of the worst parts of environmentalism. I just wrote an article. I haven't released it, but it's the old battle, man, uh, conservation versus preservation. And what it comes down to, whether it sounds like – I haven't read those two books, but they're, the bone of contention is going to be this, if I had to simplify it. If anything – is influenced by man that's considered toxic and that is like a lot of these these beliefs are borrowed from christianity where like the garden of eden has been contaminated by picking that apple you're not going to convince people otherwise and a lot of them don't know they borrowed it from christianity but a lot of these environmentalists have protestant roots including myself i used because i empathize with them because i have those roots in me and that's where it comes from the conservationists say, you know what? We need reconciliation. There's costs and benefits, and humans have a place to play. Mm. And forestry comes from that branch. It comes from conservation. Unfortunately, according to my opinion, conservation lost the cultural war. <laughs> Preservation has won. My evidence for that is the Forever Wild Clause, um, the National Park Service. These are urban constructs completely within the minds and imaginations of mostly urban people that have been codified and we see it today in the catskills through the dep land acquisition program so they're just buying up land and not doing anything with them treating land as if it's a museum so preservation and land's too precious for that right we make a living from it and if we can't use ours we have to use someone else's so conservation's lost um, that's why, you know, Catskill Forest Association, we're always battling that culturally, I feel. And it's a struggle. The struggle is real, man. <laughs> the struggle is real. No, that's something that <laughs> probably comes up in your consultations, everyone's consultations, you know. The, the Sometimes you, you shake the person's hand and say hello, and, and you have to, the first thing that comes out is, well, I, I want to do better. I want to, I want to, you know, make this forest healthy, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really, I don't know if I want to cut anything. That, something like that happens a lot. And then you end up talking for an hour or two about mm -hmm. the importance of cutting, and hopefully they're gung ho about cutting a tree down by the time you leave. Most are. If, yeah, if most they're are. patient enough to listen, um, you don't want to sound like you're convincing someone. But if you can give your opinion and then show them why, right in the woods, yeah, you can show them how cutting is good for certain plants and trees and how it's bad if you do nothing for others, right. yeah. the cost of doing nothing. You can usually find the example of a tree that's in decline because of lack of sunlight. What I love yeah. about conservation and what we do is about cutting and sunlight and shade tolerances of plants is that it's not this pie-in-the-sky imagination of, of fungi we can't see under the ground. Or climate change that is somehow impacting something that we can't really prove or disprove in real time. Right? Yeah. But we can show them a maple tree out-competing a red oak. Right. And we can go into all of that. We can show them spring ephemerals not coming up because of deer browse. All these things can actually be seen. 
And that to me is how conservation actually is going to win if you're if someone allows you the time. But foresters, man, they're never allowed the uh, time of day in the media ever. This is the one of the only shows I'm sad to say where we actually talk about this stuff. It's it's pathetic. It really is. It's 2023, and this. This preservation movement's been going on for too long. I mean, it is a 19th century relic. We need to start talking about conservation in a big way. We, if we don't allow humans back in the mix of things to solve some of these problems, like look at transgenic chestnuts. We've been dragging our feet for 10 years. Right. Could have released this tree 10 years ago, and it could have had 10 years of growth. And they're not doing it because why? Because the forest is a sacred cow, and we're not allowed to... Right, contaminate the Garden of Eden. We we do trade. We do genetic all all day long in the farm because that's already contaminated. That's not the pure heaven. But in the forest, oh God, can't put those chestnuts. Meanwhile, chestnuts gone. Probably the most important tree in North America, I would say. One of, if not the most important tree, is the American chestnut. We need it back. Another word that comes up in consultations is stewardship. A lot of members, you know, they want to be stewards of the land. Where do you think that term comes into play with conservation or preservation? You go ahead, John. I oh, I, I can think of enough. I can think of a consultation <laughs> I had recently. I mean, um, they. I, I, well, I guess it was last year. It doesn't matter. I talked to them, and I said, what do you want to do with this? I mean, you bought they just bought the land. What would you buy it for? Well, we wanted a place to go, you know, escape the city and go camp. Great. Well, what do you like about this land? What attracted you to this parcel? And they showed me the trees, the field, the everything they loved. And they said, I don't want anything to change. I said, well, <laughs> you've got quite the task on your hands. If you want nothing to change, it means you got a yearly do a lot of cutting because you're you know if you want this oak tree to persist you have to cut around it. if you want this apple tree if you want to keep this young forest at the edge of your your meadow young forest you have to keep cutting it over to keep it young and and they didn't really realize that that you know that would be stewarding that their um you know their vision of of their forest uh, i think they mainly thought that you know the set it and forget it let it sit and and we talked about it we walked down the road there was a great example uh of some dep land down the road that we walked up on and i said look this is it was the other side of the stone wall likely the same farm years ago so the farmer you know had the same exact tree composite or forest composition on the other side of the wall just at different abandonment times and i said this is the future of your land so if you want to be a steward of your land for the reasons you just told me you got you got a lot of work at <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was reading a letter to the editor in the Shanghai Journal right before the show, and it drove me nuts. Like, okay, bees and birds, right? Pollinators and uh, songbirds. Decline, decline, decline. But they're not totally wrong that pesticides could be killing them. But it fits within the, the, the paradigm preservation because it's man doing something and contaminating the heaven, right? The pure state, the environment. But here's the other side of it. And, and usually what's missing is equally, if not more important, is humans not doing anything that's also causing their decline. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. The maturing forests since the last 50 years leads to what? Fewer flowering plants, which deprives them of nutrition, pollinators. It, And we know it's true with now, bees I'm less familiar with, but we know it's true. We know it's true with songbirds. 
Right. I mean, Audubon's one of the biggest proponent of cutting. Even the DEC now has a Young Forest Initiative. Bring back some of these songbirds. That wasn't due to pesticides. But we don't hear that because it's conservation. It's it's now it's the antithesis of not doing anything. It's doing something. Again, that's conservation. It's losing. Right. It's still losing the battle. Anyway. So, so stewardship then it, it involves some sort of. Zane's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, 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 I'm still here. <laughs> All right, no, no, so, no. no, it's it's no, it's it's an interesting word. You know, a lot of people, it's a buzzword, and and people, you know, they want to be stewards. I want to be a good steward. I want to do right by the land. I hear that all the time, right by the land. But to me, you know, it's just like you guys are saying, it involves some sort of active management, cutting, uh, planting something. But if you do nothing, um, it's not benign. I think it takes a little time to own a piece of parcel before you can actually be a good steward. Yes, of course, there's something you can do right away. As soon as CFA leaves leaves your doorstep after a consultation, you should have an idea of something you can do. But um, I'm thinking back to I mean this change over time thing. I'm thinking back to our family parcel. I grew up on it. It was my you know stomping grounds for a young boy to go explore, and uh, I'm just now deciding what it is that I want to do to steward that land. And, and it's because I've had my lifetime to look at this 30 years and see the change and remember what, you know, makes me nostalgic about it. And knowing that at the current rate, my, you know, my daughter's never going to see those things. She will never be able to go walk the broken flush of grouse and shoot it that I did. I mean, that was awesome. I, any day of the season, I can go do that. Uh, there's no squirrels. There's no rabbits. There's fewer deer. Uh, there's a turkey there this year. That was a big deal that we saw a turkey. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is a parcel of land that, you know, I grew up to love and hunt and fish. So now I've decided for me to be a steward of that land is to bring some of this back. And that's my goal in the next 10 years. And for someone to just walk in and I just bought a, a piece of land or I just bought the house and land came with it. And to say I need to be a steward now, it's, well, steward of what? Um, you could steward what's existing and keep it along its path of, you know, reduce insect pests and disease. So what's there stays quote unquote healthy. But should you, you know, should you be stewarding the past instead um, and reversing the clock? I don't know. I mean, that's something that takes time to figure out. To me, that's also evidence for, again, uh, human involvement in the land like you how are you going to steward it if you're just preserving it not touching it not even walking in it you know not like leaving it alone completely you're not gonna you're not going to be in that that creek fishing or you're not going to be in the in the forest flushing a grouse like you're going to be afraid that anything you touch is going to be ruined so yeah. you're not going to get to know your land you're not going to develop that um connection with it which i think a lot of people that's what they want they just think that you know, to get there is a different, I mean, I guess I don't know what they think, but yeah, to me, it's like John was saying, it's, it's obviously about developing a connection with your, your land, knowing, you know, the different parts of it, knowing, um, what's there, what's not there and kind of mixing that into your own objectives and, you know, finding a balance in there. So, yeah, it's also assumed that humans are new to the scene and I think that's a big assumption. Right. So if humans have been riding the glacier since they went away, then that kind of changes, I think. When I say it to people, like, oh, it's like, now it's like, really? Mm. Well, they've been there all along? You know, you always hear, we're entering their world. Like, it's like, well, yeah. maybe our worlds were never different. 
Maybe they were never separate. I mean, the glaciers were only 13,000 years ago in New York State. Mm -hmm. That's not that long ago. We know humans have been around longer. I like to tell people that when you can tell they started got the wheels turning that they might do something. I said, don't be afraid to screw it up because you could you could totally screw everything up and it'll come back. Yeah, you know maybe not in your lifetime, but it'll come back. It'll be fine. Yeah, no, nature's <laughs> pretty adaptable. Uh, if you're just tuning in tonight, you're listening to From the Forest, and tonight's topic is just forestry check-in with uh, four field staff from the Catskill Forest Association. Gordon Lightfoot just passed away. Um, 
84 years old. One of my favorites. This is uh, from The Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talking about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is forestry check-in with the four field staff of the Catskill Forest Association. Myself, Ryan, John, Zane, and Zara. So what do you guys want to go into next? I mean, I'll talk forever. What do you got on your mind, Ryan? I don't know, what do you guys think is like our forest's biggest strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats? You know, the good old SWOT analysis. <laughs> we can go more into that or not at all. I don't, I don't care. It's well, meant to be an open-ended conversation. I think our biggest strength is um, well, we're mountainous, which is awesome, but we're mountainous and diverse. Unlike a lot of other mountain ranges that I've been to in my lifetime. I never knew it. I grew up here, and I took advantage of it. You know, going to the Adirondacks, to the to the Rocky Mountains, to all over the place. Uh, we're diverse in tree species, plant life, communities. It's just, you can drive an hour any direction and see something different. I think we kind of already mentioned one, which is that trees want to grow here. We just have all of the right conditions. Um, you know, we've seen already that most of the land in the Catskills was cleared for agriculture at one point or another, and the forest has had no problem coming back um, all over. So. Without help. Right. <laughs> yeah. Zane? Yeah, well, uh, what's been happening the last few weeks, we get a lot of this rain. You know, That's really good for trees, and we live in a very rainy region. So to add to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I wrote an article a few weeks, a few months ago, and it was on why I love the Catskills. And uh, we have we have some of my four favorite trees in great abundance, and that would be the sugar maple, the red oak, uh, the apple, wild apple, and the hemlock. Some of those, like unfortunately, hemlock is is um, under threat, but um, other mountains have them. We just have them in great abundance. You know, I mean, believe it or not, the state tree of West Virginia is sugar maple, but they don't have it like we do. You know, they don't have those apples growing as well. It's a little warmer down there. And uh, hemlock has just basically made the Catskills famous, you know. And apple, shoot, I mean, things grows like wild all over the place. Yeah. You know? So, you go to the Adirondacks. You don't know anything about trees, man. You know about muskrats up there, all right? <laughs> like, you know, if you like to go on lakes and fish, I tell you what, canoes? I don't know anything about canoes. That's because I grew up in Hudson Valley and Catskills. We don't have standing water. Right. But trees don't like standing water. And if they do like standing water, it's because they really tolerate it and their lives are short. So they got like three different trees up there, right? Compared oh, yeah. to the Catskills. They can grow white pine. They can have it, though. They can have it. We got white pine. You know, just go to Sullivan County. There's tons of it. I know. But they have nice white pine. We have okay white pine. Yeah. That's true. They got nicer. The one thing that, that grows better up there, really, that's commercially viable would be yellow birch. Mm-hmm. All right? So fine. But we got more varieties of just oak and hickory than they do of trees. I mean, listen, I went to the New York State Ranger School. I thought I was like I knew something after dendrology class. I come home, right? I go up on the Shangam Ridge. It was actually the Wurtsboro Ridge. I go for a little hike right above Wurtsboro, and I get up there and I'm like, I don't know anything about trees. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what these trees are. We don't have these in the, you know, 
in the Adirondacks. They don't they don't know how to say oak down there. And unless you get to the fringes like St. Lawrence River or something, Ticonderoga. But man, uh, they got black spruce. I'll give them that. Yeah. No, I, my dendrology teacher. He, um, I was his best friend because I was from the Catskills, and that's where he grew up. So every time there needed to be an example of something, he always asked me. <laughs> Because yeah. he knew nobody else from a lot of my classmates were from uh, Adirondacks, Vermont, New Hampshire. <laughs> same, right? Same forest type. Yeah. What do you think, Zara? Yeah, I mean, I had the the same experience you did, Ryan, at the Ranger School, and seeing the same four trees pretty much over and over again, and got really good at identifying those. But yeah, coming down here is definitely a game changer, uh, especially with oaks and hickories. I would say. Yeah. I think it took me a minute to kind of get used to seeing all of them not just on on paper or in a lecture or something and then you get to the big valley of like syracuse and it's like crummy elm yeah it's too wet it's yeah. garbage it's like god i want to go back to the cats with well-drained soils and stuff you know hey now whoa watch <laughs> oh uh. <laughs> a lot of elm you know they got that rare yeah. rattlesnake up there that no one cares about right you know yeah. masa whatever <laughs> who cares like i care about rattlesnakes I mean, we got the timber rattle. That's good enough. Big, yeah, the biggest thing <laughs> moving down here was the apples. Um, I really apples just weren't on my radar. Besides what was in the you know the grocery store, but coming down here and especially during apple tree pruning season, just seeing the the great variation in in apple trees and where they grow and how they grow and which ones uh, uh, which sites they prefer and which ones are doing really well, it was a really interesting experience. So. We're talking about opportunities, too, and that's what I look at. Uh, it's one of the interesting things I point out in consultations, opportunities to kind of do a crop tree release, as we call it on these um, shade intolerant species, like an apple or an oak. Um, so the property where I rent, I'm always looking for apple trees, and a lot of them are flowering now, but uh, I'm thinking about kind of opening some up for various reasons. But, yeah, those are opportunities I think of. How about those apple flowers this year? Oh, it's great. You They're know? everywhere. Yeah, last year was they go every other year, and so this year is uh, is awesome, man. It's beautiful. You know? Yeah. No, my trees in my yard are about to explode. And first year they're going to be decent crop, you know, since I planted them in 2020. Yeah. I should probably pick them off, but I, I can't. <laughs> I mean, the Adirondacks, I man, I used, to ride, I used to have to go to reserve uh, weekend once a month, so I'd have to drive all the way from Wanakeena to Albany. It's like, there's hardly any apple trees, like no flowers, you know? It's terrible. It's like this, everything has to be imported. This, I mean, you know, we import a lot of food now today in the Catskills, but they can't grow anything up in that sandy soil but <laughs> it's yeah. just, i don't know it's it's a beautiful area though it is it oh, really is beautiful. beautiful yeah i remember being like we learned uh apple and dendrology as well but the only ones we were tested on were probably ones that were 95 percent dead maybe <laughs> in the middle of the woods hmm. on the edge of a uh, uh, yeah. an old logging road or something and just totally overgrown and but yeah i mean i would agree with saying coming down here it's like totally different seeing them pretty much every single property i visit has yeah. an apple tree somewhere it's crazy yeah remember when they did uh they took us to canton to have like some oh, diversity yeah. for tree yeah. id and at the uh ranger school and they stumped us by an apple tree we were like oh no <laughs> what is this it's an apple tree what you know the freaking instructor was like it's malice species 
This is pathetic. <laughs> you guys just misidentified taught, an apple tree. I've taught you nothing. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, we don't know. We remember there's an ash tree in the inventory. There's an white ash tree yeah. over here. It's just yeah. freaking great. You guys got to see this. Yeah. And I was like, who cares? I, I'm pretty sure there was one single white ash in my whole inventory. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. You get just like tunnel vision up there, though. Like, it, it's like you're used to seeing all these conifers and just like all these specific, you know, a certain certain forest type. And then when you come down, it's like even if you do know other trees, you just forget them. I don't know. It's like yeah. a, a, a blanking in your mind. <laughs> like, oh, where oh, am oak, I? <laughs> oak. Oak. Yeah. Oak. Okay. I got it. <laughs> I mean, those trees get me sometimes too in the Catskills. Like black gum always gets me because I don't, I don't have black gum in my house, but yeah. it's in the Catskills, and I always have to when remind myself on a consultation of, you know, when we're looking at trees and someone says, "Well, what is this one?" and I got to think about it. I'm like, am I in black gum territory yet? Could this be? Oh yeah, it is. But uh, out of place, yeah. out of out of context, you know. Well, we take it for granted. You can be in Kingston, and. 20 minutes later, not even, be on the escarpment of the Catskills with every tree species from hackberry, a southern hardwood, black gum, to red friggin' spruce and balsam fir. Literally. Yeah. You can be at the, at the height of Haynes Falls and be in Catskill. And it's the same thing. It's crazy. That's a lot of tree species diversity. Pitch pine. Yeah. It's awesome. Hackberry. You ever seen that tree? Yeah. I've, I've never Probably. seen it around here. It's in the Rondau, bigger valleys. Oh, okay. I have to look for it. I, I mean, it was very new at, in Syracuse. It's a uh, uh, street tree around the campus there, but no, I've never encountered it in the wild here. You walk the tracks um, by Rondau Landing, it's all over the place. Rondau, and, uh, and, and up the Rondau into Ellenville, it's all over. Yeah. Zane, we've we've definitely seen it one time on a I I can't remember the member's property, but we were there treating some uh, knotweed or something, and oh. it was by the road, and yeah, it was very distinctly just a single tree though, but yeah, yeah. Saw it. I know it's got like that teardrop-shaped leaf to it, kind of warty bark, which is pretty distinct, but yeah, the bark's crazy. You know, we got mulberry, which Long Islanders look down upon, which I love. Yeah, I just planted two. It's a great tree. You can grow them here. I don't know. So, How did your uh, coppices do? Did they take? What, the ones that I did root hormone? Or, yeah, root I don't hormone. know about that, if that's going to work. But no. I, the ones that I transplanted are all growing. Hmm. White mulberry, I took two out. Listen, little secret here on white mulberry. Th- there's actual white mulberries that are have white fruit, and they taste like honey. They're some of the best fruit. Uh, some, somehow the plant xenophobes have declared war on this tree because it's from China or something. But, you know, apples from Kazakhstan, so get over it. But, like, this tree that produces fruit without any without any fertilizers, is that such a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Give me a break. Can they take a wet site? Yeah. Okay, they good. can. They can tolerate a wet site. Because I stuck them in a little marginal gap I had and... I didn't know if I uh, that may have had to go dig them up and move them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, technically, red mulberry isn't even really considered native to this part of North America. Yeah, further south. And then it gets even more complicated because they hybridize. Mm. So, so there, it gets really, really terrible. Gotcha. You know, these things are pretty subjective when you start trying to 
tease out the nuance and details of them. But anyway, there's some by some gas stations in Kingston that are just the best fruit I've ever had. Hmm. They're amazing. The birds get pissed off at you because they want them all. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to share. And I don't blame them. So, and it's like apple, you know, apple is so difficult to get going. Like the one you buy, right. like a plant. You know, if volunteers, they grow everywhere. But, man, you plant an apple tree, it's like if you can get it established, it'll probably last a long time. But, man, getting them going is no joke. So, what else? What else you guys Oh, threats. Did we talk about threats? Zane hinted at opportunities. With some threats to the forest. It's not all sunshine and moon pies, right? I mean, if you name a tree, there's probably some insect or disease that that's uh pressuring it so yeah you know i often have to explain that in consultations you know someone will mention a tree and they'll say oh isn't this happening and i'm like yep there's this insect or this you know disease or something but i don't think it's all something to panic about but there's definitely uh you know hemlock woolly adelgid emerald ash borer you know things that most people are familiar with at this point if they own land right yeah i mean our biggest threat is uh, oh kind of the opposite we just talked about our our um our strength is our diversity but that's also our our threat is is the lack of diversity that it, it all happened by accident right farm abandonment gave us all the sunlight for all these different diverse trees to take hold on where they can grow and and we got a, an abundance and now we're not doing anything with them so uh, it can go the other way just as fast totally mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see that battle in the escarpment area, you know, the oak hickory chestnut getting its butt whooped by maple. Mm-hmm. Zane? You guys worried about spotted lanternfly at all? Spotted lanternfly, yeah. Uh, well, geez, we've heard so much talks about that, right, Zane, at right. the uh, International Society of Arboricultural Conferences. It's a nuisance, it seems. They don't. They can't really have evidence that it kills trees yet, but it's a nuisance. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a forest threat. Um, but it certainly is cause for concern for uh, orchards and uh, yeah. vineyards. Agricultural threat, big time. Right. Yeah. That stinks. You know, that's one of the bad things about trade. There's some real invasives out there, you know, I, that are bad. I, listen, I, you know, sometimes I say invasives aren't as bad as people think, but there's some insects out there that I'm most concerned about. Yeah, yeah well, emerald ash borer and the chestnut blight and wants to take the trees out. They, yeah. They're the bad ones. In our neck of the woods, I feel like the invasive plants are from absentee land ownership, just people not taking care of their land. But the insects are terrible because they, they actually can kill healthy trees. Mm-hmm. That's bad. That's a bad one. But Yeah, it's uh, – I mean pathogens are a natural part of uh, the forest, but it's it's the um, insects that kill their hosts. Those, uh, those are the worst ones. Uh, chestnut blight, uh, Dutch elm disease. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? You know, some of these things might be remedied. Maybe not in our lifetime, but nature figures out a way. I think after a while. But um, like I said, that transgenic could be something. The Forest Service is releasing parasitoid wasps to battle the emerald ash borer and, and having success. So that could be a biological control, mm-hmm. which is what we need. So. Yep, they're releasing beetles for hemlock woolly adelgid. Another biocontrol project. But, yeah, I'm most interested in that transgenic chestnut. 
Yeah. No, we've had some radio shows on it, and people talk about the biology of it. The last guy we had on, I can't, I can't remember his name, talked about the cultural things, and that's where I'm kind of coming from. And you know, is is the the cultural paradigms with with genetics in the forest is mm-hmm. not welcomed by the preservationist. I don't think so. And if it does come back, we need to do something different than what we're doing now uh, to get any type of abundance in our forest of chestnut. It's not going to just sprout out there. Yeah. If we're too dark, too damp. It's got to be planted in the best sites. And then if you want it to enter into the forest, you got to cut its way into to introduce it. It's a disturbance-dependent tree species. It's very similar to red oak, you know? Yeah. Which is uh, going right into what we were saying before, you know? You get, there is a role for humans to play, but we only got about 30 seconds left. you guys uh, have any upcoming events you wanted to briefly mention? Uh, well, game of logging. There's several game of loggings this season, so anybody looking for chainsaw safety, uh, see our website. There's several coming up. Um, and then a Forest Health Woods box, and you're leading that one, right? Yeah, that'll be uh, May 20th, Saturday, May 20th, at the uh, Frost Valley Model Forest. Nice. Yeah. Should be good, and if you like, like John says, if you forget, just go to the Catskill Forest Association's website, and uh, that's all the time we have on from the forest. You missed the forestry check-in. Who knows? Maybe we'll do this again uh, the first Wednesday of the month each each time. We'll see. All right. Have a good night. Good night, everyone. Oh, the neon lights were flashing, and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow His eyes were red, his hopes were dead and the wine was running low And the old man came home from the forest His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street and faces stopped to stare but no one stopped to speak for his castle was a hallway and the bottle was his friend and the old man stumbled in from the forest up a dark and dingy staircase the old man made his way his ragged coat around him as upon his caught he lay and he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way getting lost like a fool in the forest and as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear upon his mantle shining the face of one so dear Of a long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom In the forest She touched his grizzled fingers And she called him by his name And then he heard the joyful sound Of children at their games In an old house on a hillside In some forgotten town Where the river runs down From the forest
never sleep. 